If you have your Bibles uh, with you this morning, I'd invite you to, um, to take them and turn to, uh, ta- to Acts chapter 12. And uh, we're going to have the, the, t- the various texts on the, on the screen today, <coughs> like, we, like we often do. But if you have your, um, your Bible, I would encourage you to, to take them. And um, we're going to look at a story that's uh, been very, very impactful for my own life, and I trust that it's going to challenge us as a church family as we continue our, our study on, on prayer. We, we began this year, 2023, we began this year with a focus on prayer, and uh, we have been doing that over the last four or five weeks. And, and I, I too want to say um, a big thanks to our, our preaching team, our teaching team. You know, yes, there are some of us in our church family who are blessed to be able to uh, serve as pastors and on staff here, and, and we get to preach and teach. We get to open up God's Word to you regularly, and, and that's exciting. But, but beyond that, we have some amazing lay preachers, lay preachers being just people in our congregation who do other things for a living, who do other things for, to receive a paycheck, and then they serve using their gifts of teaching and preaching so that the body can be built up. And I am so grateful for the rich gifts that we have, and I think it would be totally appropriate if we just gave them a a round of applause here today and thank them for what they do. You know, I sometimes, I sometimes kind of feel like, man, I wish I could preach more. But then, but then I go, but we've got an awesome, awesome team. And so it just gives us great joy. And so we've been, been looking at this focus on, on prayer over the last number of weeks. Prayer is one of our key ministry priorities as, as a church family. And we've been working at it for a number of years now. We certainly haven't had it dialed in. But, but without prayer, um, as a church family and as disciples of Jesus Christ, we, were, we are absolutely powerless. We are, we are ineffective in, you know, whatever we do, we're going to flounder, we're going to have very, very little uh, direction, both personally and corporately. That's how important prayer is to the body of Christ and to the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. But when we talk about prayer being this, this a ministry priority or something that's very, very significant among us, it, it's, it's more than just some strategy, like, it's not some strategy that we put in a manual and tuck away and put on a shelf. It's not just some kind of warm, fuzzy phrase that we might put on a, on a church wall. Prayer, as we've been talking about, is a relationship with Almighty God. It is communing with the God of creation who has created you and me to be in relationship with Him. It's opening our heart to His and His to ours. You see, prayer is a big deal. It's huge. So we're learning. We're trying to help one another learn as to what it means to pray. Um, That was the disciples' question at the very beginning of the series when we started. Lord, would you teach us to pray? And, And so Jesus taught them as he spent time with them, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to learn from Jesus and his disciples what it means to pray to pour out our lament, to acknowledge the, the, the grief in our world, the pain, the sorrow, the struggles, knowing that God hears us, knowing that God invites us to Him with our incredible challenges, 
with the, with the pain and the weights that, that weigh us down and to bring it to him. We need to do that as we're learning to pray. We're learning to rest in him, to trust in him that no matter what kind of chaos exists all around us, that we can be still before him and we can know that he is God even when chaos exists and surrounds us. We can, we can trust him. We can learn from him in the stillness. Now, last week when, when Phil Podlis um, uh, shared the word with us, he, he talked about how we need to learn to listen. Uh, not just to any voice, right? Like don't, don't mishear or misinterpret what we're saying when we talk about listening prayer and listening to God. We're not talking about listening to any voice and just kind of being still and going, you know, hmm, and like whatever comes, you know, okay, that's what we do. No, we're talking about listening to the voice, the voice of Jesus, which he shared to us in his word, and then obeying what he asks of us. This is prayer. This morning, as we kind of keep building on this, the focus this morning is on, on a persevering, on a persistent prayer when things in our lives appear hopeless or impossible. Um, I don't know when you came in, if you, uh, if you came in and, and you were able to get a prayer card, uh, what I'm calling a prayer card this morning, um, by, because of the ushers handed to you, that's great. If, if you didn't get one, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward one more time and just put up your hand if you would like a prayer card, and, and they're going to pass one to you, and then there's some pens too. And I want you to hold on to that card as we go throughout uh, the message this morning. So ushers, yeah, come on forward, pass them out, and uh, just pop your hand up, and, um, and you'll, you'll grab those as they come. And as, as, you, as we go through this morning, I want to ask two questions, and I want these two questions to kind of be resonating with you or kind of at the fore of your mind as we look at this story in Acts chapter 12. And the two questions are this. Um, first question, if you could ask your church family, so that's, that's the Westwood church family, if you could ask them to pray earnestly for one thing in your life, what would it be? If you could ask your church family to pray earnestly for one thing in your life, what would it be? That's the first question. The second question is pretty, pretty simple. Do you believe that prayer changes anything? Do you believe that prayer changes anything? I want you to keep these questions in mind as we go along this morning. And if you feel led to answer uh, the question on the card that you're holding, feel free to do so and just kind of Keep on to that. So we're looking at this story in Acts chapter 12, and here's the backdrop to Acts chapter 12. For several years leading up to this particular story, the first century church has been growing under the leadership of Peter and the rest of the disciples. And those disciples, they experienced both successes and challenges, like any church two millennia later. Uh, one individual who created a whole lot of challenge for the early church was a guy named Saul. 
Um, you may know the character. Saul loved killing Christians. Uh, he pursued them with a vengeance. He got other people around him to do the same. And that's a problem for any pastor or any church planter trying to start a church, right? When somebody or a group of people are trying to pick your people off one by one. Now, in Acts chapter 9, there's an incredible story where one day, as Saul is on his way to do what he did best, he is met personally and extremely powerfully by Jesus himself, who introduces himself to Saul, and Saul has an encounter with Jesus that changes his life forever. That's the story just a couple of, of chapters before chapter 12. Now, at the same time that this is going on, there is a, a king named uh, Herod. That's kind of who we under, that's the name in, in the scriptures. His, his actual name is Agrippa I. Herod is kind of more like a title, right? And so Agrippa I, he had become quite popular with the Jews. He saw the rising of the Christian church as an opportunity to gain even more credibility with the Jewish population by persecuting Christians who were creating problems for him politically. He didn't, he didn't like interference. He didn't like kind of, um, uh, you know, this, uh, this competition, right? So this is the backdrop of the story in Acts chapter 12, beginning verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Now, it was 10 years earlier where Jesus had just been put on trial in the same city at the same Passover festival and put before the public, maybe some of the same people, to be crucified. 10 years later, here's Peter, the same guy who denies Jesus three times, and now he's in the spotlight and he's become the key leader in the Christian church. So Herod, or Agrippa I, he's taking no chances with him. So I want you to kind of really, really think about some of these details. He's taking no chances with him, and he appoints four units of four soldiers each to guard Peter in the prison cell to stand guard for three hours at a time through the night. Short shift, right? And he, and he does this um, so that, so that um, you know, uh, Peter is not going to have a prison break. Two soldiers, they're chained to Peter, one on each side of him, while the other two in this little squadron are watching the entrance to the prison cell. These are super, super important details because, because King Herod is not taking any chances. He wants to wait until the Passover celebration uh, is before them, and then he wants to bring Peter out for this public trial. And, and because the Jews are antagonistic towards the Christians, and Herod's popular with the Jews, he's, he's imagining that, that this church leader, this key church leader, is going to get squeezed out with this very simple 
but a very, very public execution. So when we're here reading this story and we put these details together, it's difficult for us to imagine anything other than that Peter is done. He is a goner. It's hopeless. It's helpless. There's no getting out of this predicament. I absolutely love how, how Luke, uh, Luke was the, the writer of, of Acts, I love how he sets it up. Because just when we think that there's no hope, no hope, one man chained to two guards in a stone prison cell with several sets of iron gates, watched over by two guards with a mob mindset throughout the city, asking for Peter's life. That's the backdrop, and this is what we read. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I absolutely love that phrase. The first time I ever saw that and it kind of jumped out at the page of me, I was absolutely dumbfounded. Just when we think that Peter is another helpless statistic, Luke writes, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. If you have your Bibles, underline that word earnestly. It's super important, grammatically. It means to be stretched out. It means to be continuous. It's a picture of going to God urgently, passionately, pleading to Him in continuous prayer. There is there's intensity, there's duration, there's desperation as you go before the God of all creation. It's an intense, persistent, passionate, fervent pleading before the Lord that this church is doing on behalf of their brother in Christ, asking for a miracle. Have you ever experienced that kind of prayer? Have you? Perhaps it was the health crisis or a marital challenge or your children or a global event or injustice done to another. Maybe it was a government decision Maybe it's something that brings you to the end of yourself. Do you know, many things can drive us to our knees in intense prayer over a long period of time. When I was 25, I, uh, I got a call from, from my mom saying uh, the surgeon had made a mistake doing routine gallbladder surgery on my dad. And they, they missed sewing up an incision on the bile duct before closing him up. So bile dripped from that incision for three days before 
his body cavity was, was so toxic that he literally was about to explode and he was rushed surgery. The, the doctor said he didn't know if dad was going to live or die. That was the news before us. So I and we prayed earnestly for months, months, pleading on behalf of my dad. It was a, it was a full year of recovery before he was even able to function again, do basic things. And to some degree, things were never the same after that. Intense prayer. Uh, more recently, um, you know, the past eight months for me have been incredibly challenging as a pastor. I, I have never experienced the kind and the intensity of the spiritual attacks as I have these past months. Now, the good thing about spiritual attacks is that it does wonders for your prayer life. It, it actually reminds you that God is at work. If there's no opposition, are you in the battle? And I look at our church family and I go, God, you're doing great things among us in us, through us, around us. But having been in, in pastoral leadership for nearly 30 years, I've come to recognize the attacks of the enemy, and the strikes are often targeted towards leadership. It's just the way it goes. The enemy is looking for cracks, looking for a foothold to create disunity and division. That's what the enemy does, church. He's the accuser of, of believers. That's his job description according to the Bible. So the good thing about spiritual attack is that it drives you to your knees. The bad thing about spiritual attacks is that they suck. <laughs> they, they leave you questioning. They leave you defeated. They leave you with sleepless nights. If you've ever been there, if you've ever served in church leadership lay levels or pastoral levels, you know what I'm talking about. You wonder, you wonder why this? You wonder, why me? Why now? Why, why, why? It's awful. Um, I had a really difficult experience recently, and, and as I was driving home after work, I was, I was praying out loud, which is often what I do. I was praying out loud, and I was praying forcefully and intensely. And I was asking God what I was supposed to do with this thing. This fiery dart aimed right at me. I knew, I knew that it was a full frontal spiritual attack from the enemy designed to discourage and deflate. And I, I verbally and I loudly rebuked the enemy, but it still leaves you reeling. And you still wonder why. I get home. And I step out of the car in the driveway, and as I did, my, my iPhone, which was in my pocket the entire time, startled me by starting to play a song by Chris August called He Said. I was absolutely dumbfounded as I listened to the words. Here's a part of the chorus. Don't fear when you go through the fire. Hang on when it's down to the wire. Stand tall and remember what he said. I won't give you more 
more than you can take. And I might let you bend, but I won't let you break. I, I was absolutely stunned because the song is not in my music library. My little car does not connect to my phone. And I had left the phone alone while I was driving. Yet my phone just happens to play this song out of the blue with the exact words I need to hear, but no one other than the one to whom I had just been earnestly praying would have known that. Who can, who can break into one's life like that and speak directly to your heart using means where you just kind of are left shaking your head? No one other than the one who desires to be in relationship with you and me. The one who cares about you, the one who wants to walk with you and with me. Have you experienced that kind of prayer? Now, now to be clear, we don't always get the results that we hope for when we pray even like this. Persistently, passionately, ongoing, continuously. We don't always get the results we hope for in our time frame. Maybe never at all. We look at Jesus, and uh, he prayed earnestly in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's, you know, same, same word, right? He is, he is earnestly going before God. He's asking for a course redirection, and his prayer wasn't answered the way that he had hoped. He asked for his Father's will to be done, but his prayer was also that the suffering be taken from him, yet it wasn't. When we look at this story in Acts chapter 12, I, I suspect that the early church uh, was probably praying for James, the brother of, of John, but, but James was executed. So, so why would it be any different for Peter? What would happen when the church prayed earnestly for him? Verse 7, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he'd seen a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. So, so remember the details that I kind of shared at the beginning. Peter, chained to two guards, one on each side of him, guarded by another two. Peter is sleeping so soundly that the bright light of the angel doesn't wake him up. It actually takes this hard hit on the side to actually alert him. There's no indication that the guards were sleeping. They only had three-hour shifts. Who's fallen asleep on a three-hour shift? No, they were paid to watch the entire time, and yet somehow they don't see the bright lights that shine in the cell. They don't hear Peter being woken up by the angel. They don't hear the chains falling off his wrists, hitting the stone floor. And they don't see Peter walk out of the prison cell right under their noses, through the gates, and out into the street. But the church was earnestly praying for him. How often... Has God done incredible things for his children 
for his church. Because they cried out earnestly and persistently for him to act on their behalf. How often? Countless times. Thousands and thousands of times. And how often has the church, disciples of Jesus Christ, missed out? Not because God couldn't act, but because they never went to him and asked. Probably countless times. See, this is a story that that often seems impossible in our well-reasoned Western scientific mindset. But it's common in parts of our world where if it wasn't for the church earnestly praying to God for Him to work, daily food wouldn't come. Protection from the evil one would not be experienced. Lives would be lost. Miracles of healing would not happen. Church suffering would only increase. Even Peter, even Peter thought it was a dream. So even even he, you know, didn't necessarily see clearly at first. He thought it was a vision. Couldn't believe it was true. Until he realized, verse 11, then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So here they are. But the church was earnestly praying. Here we are. We're introduced to them. All these people gathered together and they're praying intensely through the day, through the night. Peter knocked at the door entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and said, Peter is at the door. And then get this, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. Strike two. But Peter kept on knocking. Like, can you imagine? This is a story. that He's probably looking over his shoulder going, um, those guys are going to wake up one of these days. Like, they're going to see that I'm gone one of these moments. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Absolutely humorous story and tragic at the same time. The church is, is earnestly praying. They're praying intensely for a specific individual. Peter! Specifically, they're praying for a very dire situation to, uh, to kind of resolve itself where they've got this friend who's awaiting public execution. It seems hopeless, but the very thing that they are gathering and praying about came to be in a supernatural manner, yet they didn't really believe it to be true. You're out of your mind, Rhoda. It must be his angel. Don't you know Peter is in prison, chained to a bunch of guards? A wonderful yet tragic commentary on the early church. Wonderful that they've been recorded in history as passionately and persistently and continuously going to God in prayer, praying about something very, very important for them. Yet tragic 
that at some level they either didn't pray with any level of expectation or they didn't see Peter's miraculous escape as a direct answer from the Lord. Brothers and sisters, how do we fare in this regard? How do we fare? How seriously does our church family take a story like this? How seriously do we as disciples of Jesus take a story like this? Practicing ongoing, intense, continuous prayer for the things that are important to us, for the things that are leaving you feeling hopeless and helpless, for the things uh, that that are deep in your heart, believing that the prayers of God's people are going to make a difference. And then when you when you see answers to those prayers, will you chalk it up as coincidence? Those iPhones are amazing, eh? They just know what you're thinking. Or do you chalk it up to the one who loves being in relationship with you? Will you, will you live this kind of persistent prayer, not just when you see the awesome results like, like Peter's situation, but even when it takes a long time to see anything change. Maybe, maybe never. But will you continue to persist? Will you continue to earnestly sit with those things deep on your heart? Yes, actively pleading to God as he welcomes you to, but maybe also lamenting the grief and the sorrow before you as you go to him in prayer day after day. And then resting in him, knowing that he is God in the midst of it all. No matter what happens, he is God in the midst of it all. Yes, chaos might abound all around you, but he is still God. Keeping the eyes and the ears of your heart open, listening to what God is saying to you while you wait in earnest. You see, does God, does God want to work, and does he want to accomplish all kinds of miracles in our lives? Yeah, I think so, because he's more than capable to do so. But at the same time, he wants to work in us. He wants to shape us. He wants to transform us as we wait on him as we persist, regardless of whether our prayers will ever be answered. So let's, let's apply this incredible story. You have this card in front of you. What are you earnestly praying for? What are you earnestly praying for? And, and would you open yourself up to inviting the church to pray with you in that regard? I've shared with you how challenging the spiritual attacks on me have been as your pastor. Would you pray with me in this regard for courage and encouragement? For patience when I want to lose it, and perseverance when I want to call it a day. See, Jesus is building his church, and the enemy is pushing back, and that's what he does but the gates of hell will not prevail. Those are Jesus' words. Would you earnestly pray daily for our staff and our board of elders and our volunteer youth leaders for strength to share the load, for unity as a team, to know what to say yes to and what to say no to, to lead our church family with humility, with wisdom, and with boldness. 
Would you pray for Twyla and our children's ministry team as they prepare for a summer VBS program? Would you specifically pray that God would provide a full-time summer worker for May through August, a person who loves Jesus, a person who loves children and youth, and who could be a source of practical support for our children's and our youth ministry in a time when we need hands-on help? Maybe you are an answer. To those prayers? Would you earnestly pray for our search team tasked with discerning a youth pastor? We need God to do the work in this regard. We can't do it. We don't want to do it. We want God to do it. We want to be attentive and responsive to his work. So would you pray with this team? Would you pray earnestly that God would place a personal and a deep call upon the heart of the individual he desires to serve our church family as our youth pastor? Whether they are already here in this city, whether they are here in our church family, or whether they are here from, or from somewhere else, and God has yet to direct them to us. You see, God is so much greater than the chains that limit us. Chains that sometimes we put on ourselves and chains that sometimes other people on for us. Do you remember the Israelites when they thought that they would never leave Egypt? Maybe you remember the story. They had been calling out to God continuously, earnestly, persistently, ongoingly. It looked hopeless absolutely hopeless until the day arrived. And just when they thought that they were home free at the edge of the Red Sea, what did they see? They looked behind them, and there were these Egyptians who had been making their life miserable for 400 years, and they're behind them storming after them, and they lost it, and they wanted to kill their leader. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. You see, as far as Israel was concerned, this was a lost cause. They were going back. As far as Peter was concerned, everybody thought he was a goner. Another statistic. And maybe you're here today and you have an issue in your life that you simply cannot see a way through. It looks hopeless, you feel helpless, and you don't know what to do. And as far as God is concerned, this might simply be one more time to demonstrate that He is God Almighty and He can be trusted as you persistently depend on Him regardless of the outcome. So I asked two questions at the start of this sermon. First question was this, if you could ask your church family to earnestly pray for one thing in your life, what would it be? I hope that you've, you now understand the importance of that word earnestly and what it all means and what it stands for. And then the second question was, do you believe that prayer changes anything? You will never know. You will never know about that situation that maybe in your heart or your head, maybe it's already on that card before you. You'll never know unless you actually do something about it and invite your church family, the church brothers and sisters in Christ, to pray earnestly with you. If, if that's your desire, if you desire your church to pray earnestly for you in some regard, would you take that card that you've been holding? Would you print clearly what you're asking? 
You don't need to sign it. You can be as specific as you feel led. And once you've completed it, we're going to worship through one last song. And I'm inviting you as an act of, of worship and trust in the Lord, would you come and would you simply place that card in any one of these baskets that you see at the front? And then we're going to take these cards and we're going to distribute them through our microchurches. And our microchurches, the church, are going to pray earnestly for you, waiting on God, trusting Him to act in His time and in His way. Worship team, would you come and lead us in worship? And would you stand with me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us and we're grateful for your word which is so sharp and so challenging and yet so encouraging and transformative if we allow it to be. And so today we just entrust you with these things that are deep on our hearts, the things that we need help for, the things that uh, may seem hopeless, but things that you want your people to be pressing into. And so, Lord, help us, encourage us, guide us to be the kind of persistent prayers that you invite us to be. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.